Escape Pod 81 November 23rd, 2006 Today's story, Margin of Error, by Nancy Chris Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. To our American audience, Happy Thanksgiving. This intro may be on the short side, just because I'm a little exhausted. I've been kicking off a number of new projects in the past couple of weeks, and that would keep me busy enough, but it's not really the problem. It's that, as soon as I start making progress on anything, something else randomly breaks and takes a day or two to fix. It's been a long, weird wave of this. I'm not a believer in astrology or biorhythms, but times like this make me understand why people want to find patterns to explain why things happen. The stress has been mounting up. My wife has gotten tired of hearing me yell, Why can't things just work? It's my battle cry these days. Maybe I'm just starting to get old and crotchety, but it's been getting to me how little progress we make in things just working. Everyone knows that the future is when things just work, When we have simple universal access to everything, and our flying cars are elegant and swoopy. But then the future arrives, and we do get more capabilities, and in most cases, better quality of life. But it always increases in complexity. It never gets simpler. More productivity just means people work harder than ever. More communication means less quiet time. And when a website goes down, you can't just put a gone-to-lunch sign in the door with a smiley face. It goes down globally, and every minute you're down mounts anxiety. You feel like opportunity is being sucked from your veins. We live rich lives, but man, the stakes are so high. With Nancy Cress's first story here, we talked about the singularity. Maybe this is an argument against it. The idea that increased power always compensates for itself with increased complexity and chances for failure. I'm not talking about cataclysmic gray goo scenarios where the world destroys itself. Gremlins can happen much more casually than that, and much more personally. Would you be willing to upload your personality onto the net if the service you used for it guaranteed 98% uptime? It's something to think about. Meanwhile, here's a piece that'll cheer you up, a deep and cutting story about science and consequences. We present Margin of Error, again by Nancy Cress. I'd read the story years ago in a best-of anthology, and I was thrilled when she sent it to us. Miss Cress lives in upstate New York, and is the author of dozens of short stories and more than a dozen novels. Her best known are the Beggars Trilogy and the Probability Trilogy. The story is read for us by Christiana Ellis of the podcast novel Nina Kimberly the Merciless. It's as fun as it sounds, and you can find it at patiobooks.com. I've also been a guest on her other podcast, So You Want to Watch a Movie where we drink and talk over movies, a la MST3K. Her latest project is the Pickle Tales podcast, which is a bit like American Idol for storytellers. So take careful notes, and initial them and date them. It's story time. Margin of Error by Nancy Cress Paula came back in a blaze of glory her institute uniform with its pseudo-military medals crisp and bright, her spine straight as an engineered diamond-fiber rod. 
I heard her heels clicking on the sidewalk, and I looked up from the bottom porch step, a child on my lap. Paula's face was jean mud now, the blemishes gone, the skin fine-poured, the cheekbones chiseled under green eyes. But I would have known that face anywhere, no matter what she did to it. Karen? Her voice held disbelief. Paula, I said. Karen? This time I didn't answer. The child, my oldest, twisted in my arms to eye the visitor. This light movement made the porch step creak. It was the kind of neighborhood where women sat all morning on porches or stoops, watching children play on the sidewalk. Steps sagged, paint peeled. Small front lawns were scraped bare by feet and tricycles and plastic wading pools. Women lived a few doors down from their mothers, both of them growing heavier every year. There were few men. The ones there were didn't seem to stay long. I said, How did you find me? It wasn't hard, Paula said, and I knew she didn't understand my smile. Of course it wasn't hard. I had never intended it should be. This was undoubtedly the first time in nearly five years that Paula had looked. She lowered her perfect body gingerly onto the porch steps. My little girl, Lolly, gazed at her from my lap. Then Lolly opened her cupped hands and smiled. See my frog lady? Very nice, Paula said. She was trying hard to hide her contempt, but I could see it. For the sad, imprisoned frog, for Lolly's dirty face, for the worn yard, for the way I looked. Karen, Paula said, I'm here because there's a problem with the project. More specifically, with the initial formulas, we think. With portion of the nanoassembler code from five years ago, when you were still with us. A problem, I repeated. Inside the house, a baby wailed. Just a minute. I set Lolly down and went inside. Lori cried in her crib. Her diaper reeked. I put a pacifier in her mouth and cradled her in my left arm. With the right arm, I scooped Timmy from his crib. When he didn't wake, I jostled him a little. I carried both babies back to the porch, deposited Timmy in the porter crib, and sat down next to Paula. Lolly, go get me a diaper, honey, and wipes. You can carry your frog inside to get them. Lolly went. She's a sweet-natured kid. Paula stared incredulously at the twins. I unwrapped Lori's diaper and Paula grimaced and slid further away. Karen, are you listening to me? This is important. I'm listening. The nanocomputer instructions are off somehow. The major results check out, obviously. Obviously. The media had spent five years exclaiming over the major results. But there are some odd foldings in the proteins of the 12th generation nanoassemblers. Twelfth generation. The nanocomputer attached to each assembler replicates itself every six months. That was one of the project's checks and balances on the margin of error. It had been five and a half years. Twelfth generation was about right. Also, Paula continued, and I heard the strain in her voice, there are some unforeseen macro-level developments. We're not sure yet that they're tied to the nanocomputer protein folds. There might not be any connection. What we're trying to do now is cover all the variables.
You must be working on fairly remote variables if you're reduced to asking me. Well, yes, we are. Karen, do you have to do that now? Yes. I scraped the shit off Lori with one edge of the soiled diaper. Lolly danced out of the house with a clean one. She sat beside me, whispering to her frog. Paula said, What I need, what the project needs. I said, Do you remember the summer we collected frogs? We were maybe eight and ten. You'd become fascinated reading about that experiment where they threw a frog in boiling water, but it jumped out. And then they put a frog in cool water and gradually increased the temperature to boiling until the stupid frog just sat there and died. Remember? Karen, I collected 16 frogs for you, and when I found out what you were going to do with them, I cried and tried to let them go. But you boiled eight of them anyway. The other eight were controls. I'll give you that, proper scientific method, to reduce the margin of error, you said. Karen, we were just kids. I put the clean diaper on Lori. Not all kids behave like that. Lolly doesn't. But you wouldn't know that, would you? Nobody in your set has children. You should have had a baby, Paula. She barely hid her shudder. But then most of the people we knew felt the same way. She said, What the project needs is for you to come back and work on the same small area you did originally, looking for something, anything you might have missed in the protein-coated instructions to successive generations of nanoassemblers. No, I said. It's not really a matter of choice. The macro-level problems... I'll be frank, Karen. It looks like a new form of cancer, one nobody's ever seen unregulated replication of some very weird cells. So take the cellular nanomachinery out. I crumpled the stinking diaper and set it out of the baby's reach, closer to Paula. You know we can't do that. The project's irreversible. Many things are irreversible, I said. Lori started to fuss. I picked her up, opened my blouse, and gave her the breast. She sucked greedily. Paula glanced away. She has had nanomachinery in her perfect body, making it perfect, for five years now. Her breasts will never look swollen, blue-veined, sagging. Karen, listen. No, you listen, I said quietly. Eight years ago, you convinced Zwigler I was only a minor member of the research team, included only because I was your sister. I've always wondered, by the way, how you did that. Were you sleeping with him, too? Seven years ago, you got me shunted off into the minor area of the project's effect on female gametes, which nobody cared about because it was already clear there was no way around sterility as a side effect. Nobody thought it was too high a price for a perfect, self-repairing body, did they? Except me. Paula didn't answer. Lolly carried her frog to the wading pool and set it carefully in the water. I said, I didn't mind working on female gametes, even if it was a backwater, even if you got star billing. I was used to it, after all. As kids, you were always the cowboy. I got to be the horse. You were the astronaut. I was the alien you conquered. Remember? One Christmas, you used up all the chemicals in your first chemistry set and then stole mine. I don't think... 
trivial childhood incidents matter in, of course you don't. And I never minded, but I did mind when five years ago you made copies of all my notes and presented them as yours. While I was so sick during my pregnancy with Lolly, you claimed my work, stole it, just like the chemistry set, and then you eased me off the project. What you did was so minor. If it was so minor, why are you here asking for my help now? And why would you imagine for half a second I'd give it to you? She stared at me, calculating. I stared back coolly. Paula wasn't used to me cool. I could see that. I'd always been the excitable one. Excitable, flighty, unstable. That's what she'd told Zwiggler. A security risk. Timmy fussed in his porta crib. I stood up, still nursing Lori, and scooped him up with my free arm. Back on the steps, I juggled Timmy to lie across Lori on my lap, pulled back my blouse, and gave him the other breast. This time, Paula didn't permit herself a grimace. She said, Karen, what I did was wrong. I know that now, but for the sake of the project, not for me, you have to... You are the project. You have been from the first moment you grabbed the headlines away from Zwiggler and the others who gave their life to that work. Lovely young scientist injects self with perfect cell drug. No sacrifice too great to circumvent FDA short-sightedness, heroic researcher declares. Paula said flatly, You're jealous. You're obscure and I'm famous. You're a mess and I'm beautiful. You're a milch cow while you're a brilliant researcher? Then solve your own research problems. This was your area. Oh, Paula, they were all my areas. I did more of the basic research than you did, and you know it. But you knew how to position yourself with Zwiggler, to present key findings at key moments, to cultivate the right connections, all that stuff you do so well. And, of course, I was still under the delusion we were partners. I just didn't realize it was a barracuda partnering a goldfish. From the waiting pool, Lolly watched us with big eyes. Mommy? It's okay, honey. Mommy's not mad at you. Look, better catch your frog. He's hopping away. She shrieked happily and dove for the frog. Paula said softly, I had no idea you were so angry after all this time. You've changed, Karen. But I'm not angry. Not anymore. And you never knew what I was like before. You never bothered to know. I knew you never wanted a scientific life. Not the way I did. You always wanted kids. Wanted this. She waved her arm around the shabby yard. David left 18 months ago. He sends money. It's never enough. I wanted a scientific establishment that would let me have both. And I wanted credit for my work. I wanted what was mine. How did you do it, Paula? End up with what was yours and what was mine, too? Because you were distracted by baby shit and frogs, Paula yelled. And for the first time, I saw how scared she really was. Paula didn't make admissions like that. A tactical error. 
I watched her stab desperately for a way to regain the advantage, a way to seize the offensive. I seized it first. You should have left David alone. You already had Zwiggler. You should have left me, David. Our marriage was never the same after that. She said, I'm dying, Karen. I turned my head from the nursing babies to look at her. It's true. My cellular machinery is running wild. Just in the last few months. The nano-assemblers are creating weird structures. Destructive enzymes. For five years they replicated perfectly, and now... For five years, it all performed exactly as it was programmed to. I said, it still is. Paula sat very still. Lori had fallen asleep. I juggled her into the porta crib and nestled Timmy more comfortably on my lap. Lolly chased her frog around the wading pool. I squinted to see if Lolly's lips were blue. The weather was really too cool for her to be in the water very long. Paula choked out. You programmed the assembler machinery in the ovaries to... Nobody much cares about women's ovaries. Only 14% of college-educated women want to muck up their lives with kids. Recent survey result. Less than 1% margin of error. You actually sabotaged? Hundreds of women have been injected by now. Maybe thousands... Oh, there's a reverser enzyme, I said. Completely effective if you take it before the 12th generation replication. You're the only person that's been injected that long. I just discovered the reverser a few months ago, tinkering with my old notes for something to do in what your friends probably call my idle domestic prison. That's provable, incidentally. All my notes are computer-dated. Paula whispered. Scientists don't... Do this. Too bad you wouldn't let me be one. Karen. Don't you want to know what the reverser is, Paula? It's engineered from human chorionic gonadotropin. The pregnancy hormone. Too bad you never wanted a baby. She went on staring at me. Lolly shrieked and splashed with her frog. Her lips were turning blue. I stood up, laid Timmy next to Lori in the porta crib, and buttoned my blouse. You made an experimental error 25 years ago, I said to Paula. Too small a sample population. Sometimes a frog jumps out. I went to lift my daughter from the wading pool. And that was our story. As sibling rivalries go, I think that's probably a bit exaggerated. As scientific rivalries go, it's about right. We'll get to story feedback in a minute. First, two announcements of new things. As I've been promising for weeks now, Poddisc.com is finally up and selling the first three Escape Pod collection CDs. If you're looking for a thoughtful gift for a science fiction fan, or you just want an easy way to catch up on all our back episodes, this is a fun idea. They look incredible, with our full-color exploding spaceship and pod, and you can have them customized with your own message. And most important, buying them supports Escape Pod. It's a way to help us pay our authors and get something tangible for it in return. So check it out. That's poddisc.com. 
And if you're a podcaster, we'd love to list your podcast there too. Drop me a line for details. The other announcements also for fellow podcasters. I've teamed up with Mike Meningay of The Dragon Page to deliver a bi-weekly podcast about podcasting. It's called Podholes, and it's got some attitude. We argue with each other, we rant about the state of podcasting as we see it, and in between we answer questions and give critiques on podcasts that are volunteered to us. So if you want to hear me a little looser than I am here, on a subject other than science fiction, check it out. That's at podholes.com, or you can look for us on iTunes. So those are my plugs for the week. Let's get back to stories. Three weeks ago, we ran The Shoulders of Giants, an optimistic space story by Robert J. Sawyer. I have to be honest, I thought this was a good piece, but I was completely floored by how strong the response was in the comments. Several people did drop lines to the effect that it reminded them of other stories, and there were a couple of notes about the amount of exposition in the beginning, which is a valid point, but very few people seemed turned off by it. Most were really jazzed by the optimism, or just the change in theme. As Josh said, Wow, real sci-fi at last. More, please. Martha Holloway left a fascinating anecdote about the race for the South Pole, and how the different attitudes between Amundsen, Shackleton, and Scott affected their achievements. I recommend going back to the post just to read what she wrote. Best of all, I even got a couple of emails from writers, saying the intro made them want to write some space stories themselves. I'd love that. And I hope once you have them, you'll send them over to us. Meanwhile, the response to this story is making me want to start hunting down some more hard science fiction. So thanks, everyone, for sharing what you thought. It does make a difference. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is released on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Let's all be thankful for the things we can share and that there are people we can share them with. If you'd rather be horrified than thankful, check out Pseudopod at pseudopod.org. By the way, I narrated a little Thanksgiving flash piece there, guaranteed to get your appetite up. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju. We are thankful for their music, and, yes, we'll be bringing you more of it soon. That was our show for this week. Our closing words are simply thank you to all of you. We'll see you next week. Have fun. Have fun.